the blast from our past network. Hello and welcome to the Blast from Our Past podcast. We're the podcast that gives you full-on movie breakdowns, TV show reviews, and a whole lot more, all from the things of our nostalgic past. I'm Adam. I'm John. And today we have got a robotics-heavy episode for you. Uh, we are going to be talking the 1987 film Batteries Not Included. We are going to be talking the Transformers spinoff show, kind of the somewhat next generation of, of uh, Transformers, called Beast Wars. And then we are going to do our own recasting of the movie Batteries Not Included. So, uh, it's got all these fun robots and robots in disguise and robot aliens and whatever is going on is what we have on this episode today. Uh, 1987. Um, this is going to be fun. I don't I can't remember. I feel like we've had a, had this one a good few times. We've, we've talked about 1987 a, uh, a few times, yeah. Okay, cool. Well, uh, put our minds back into that wonderful year, if you don't mind. All right, well, the movie was released on December 18th, 1987. The Billboard Top 100 single of that week is, I think, a banger. It was Faith by George Michael. Oh, yeah. That is definitely a banger. It bops, as the uh, kids say today. <laughs> Absolutely. No surprise on topping the Nielsen ratings. It was The Cosby Show. Mm-hmm. The New York Times bestseller uh, was The Tommy Knockers by Stephen King. Okay. They didn't, that did turn into a movie at some point, it, didn't it? It was either, it was either a made for TV movie or a full movie. I've never actually seen it. Um, mm-hmm. I know my wife has because she watched a lot of those old 80s horror films and stuff. And she's currently uh, showing your daughter some of these horror movies and things, right? Yes. Like, I, I might have mentioned this before, but a, f- a couple weeks ago, she showed her killer clowns from outer space. Yeah. Um, uh, is your daughter coincidentally having trouble sleeping? No, actually. Not at all. Okay. Yeah. Because cause the, the movie looks so bad now, I don't think it bothers her so much. Okay. I, I think she, gets, she got more nightmares from watching Stranger Things, which is her favorite TV show, by the way. Okay. Okay. Favorite TV show. Uh, actually, the day before this movie was released, Capcom released the game Mega Man. Oh, wow. Very cool. Right before this movie, Mega Man and Batteries. I, did, I thought Mega Man might have actually been before 87, but okay. Nope. Cool. And my fun fact for 1987, I don't normally do sports ones on here, but uh, I found this one fascinating. Uh, Don Mattingly hit six Grand Slams in 1987, which set the MLB single-season record. That was also the only season Don Mattingly ever hit a Grand Slam. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I mean, not not a... I mean, he's a, he was always a solid player, but I don't remember like him being a home-run king at all or anything. But he only did him that one season. He yep. nailed him out of the park. Wow, yep. that's pretty cool. Which is interesting because a Grand Slam is really a set of circumstances that have to happen. He probably did hit a lot of home runs, but you you have to get everyone on base in order for the Grand Slam to happen. So the circumstances just worked out for him in 1987. You know what I always think about when I hear him is maddeningly trim those sideburns. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> we actually watched that episode the other day. Oh, fantastic. What a good episode. All right, that was 1987. 
All right. Well, I can tell you, John, I've always got a couple batteries that I keep popped in just in case. So uh, it doesn't matter that they are not included. But yeah, let's talk. Batteries not included. That was fucking dumb. <laughs> Batteries Not Included from 1987. This film was directed and the screenplay was written by Matthew Robbins. He directed The Legend of Billie Jean. That's really the only other thing that I noticed. Um, it's something that is a movie that I think Corey and Zach talked on uh, Podcasting After Dark. So if anybody wants to check that one out, uh, go check out their feed. I did notice that uh, as well as a couple other people who worked on the screenplay, the one name that uh, stood out to me was Brad Bird. Oh, worked on the screenplay of this one. So Brad Bird, uh, he worked for he's like an exec and a Pixar writer. Uh, he wrote The Incredibles, Ratatouille, also wrote Iron Giant, um, and just overall a fantastic producer and executive over at Pixar. Of course, darling. The music for this film was done by James Horner, and mm -hmm. we mentioned him not that long ago uh, because he did the music of Mask of Zorro. And then other episodes that we have talked about with him in it, our Cocoon, American Tale, Aliens, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, Balto, The Land Before Time, and Casper. Uh, tons of things that we've talked about and other ones that we haven't even got to yet. Commando, Willow, Field of Dreams, Glory, Rocketeer, Legends of the Fall, Braveheart, Apollo 13, Titanic, Avatar, uh, Beautiful Mind, and so many more. And I will talk about ad nauseum how awesome he was. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. The cast for Batteries Not Included. Uh, kind of similar. We saw both of these couples in this. We saw this couple in Cocoon. And when we talked about them, uh, Frank Riley is played by Hume Crone. Uh, he was also in Brewster's Millions besides Cocoon. Faye Riley was played by Jessica Tandy, who outside of Cocoon, she was in Fried Green Tomatoes, Driving Miss Daisy, The Birds, plenty of good stuff. Harry is played by Frank McRae. I recognized him best from Last Action Hero, actually. Mm. And then also he was that truck driver in The Wizard. Yes, that's what I remember him the most from. There, Yeah, fair. Fair enough. Wasn't his name like Spanky in that or something like that? Uh, yeah, I think it is. I think it is Spanky. <laughs> so, uh, Marissa, we have talked about this actress a couple times. Elizabeth Pena, someone else who we have all lost too soon. She was in Ro uh, Lone Star and Rush Hour that we've both talked, uh, as well as La Bamba and a voice in The Incredibles. Carlos was played by Michael Carmine. Honestly, he hasn't been in much else. Mm -hmm. um, I looked through his credits, nothing too noticeable. And then Mason is played by Dennis Butsikaris. I think that's about right. Butsikaris? Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah uh, he right. was in Better Call Saul. He was in The Bourne Legacy. He actually has quite a few credits. He's got like well over 100 credits. So Wasn't he... I think we've talked about him before. If I'm remembering this correctly, isn't he the guy at the beginning of Crocodile Dundee 2 that takes the photos and then gets killed? Totally, yes. Okay. That is absolutely him. I didn't. That didn't even hit me, but the second you said it, I'm like, oh, that's him. Oh, yeah, absolutely. All right. Uh, the budget for this film was $25 million, and it grossed $65 million. Pretty solid mm -hmm. return on investment. And I remember us having this movie on a VHS, like recorded from an HBO playlist or, mm -hmm. you know, HBO weekend or something. So, um, so this is one that we had, but like, I'd like to, you know, I think this is one that you're particularly nostalgic for. So kind of mention to us, like, why are we talking batteries not included? This has literally been on the list since the beginning. And I don't, this, I don't think any film more than this one has gotten pushed back and pushed back and pushed back. I remember putting it on 
on the original, probably the original schedule, when we first mm-hmm. like, all right, here's what we're going to do for the first year or however we decided to do it. And it just kept getting pushed back. And so finally, we couldn't push it back any farther. I definitely remember us having it, and I remember us watching it. Uh, there was nobody in the world who was more excited for me to watch this film than my wife, because she said this was her absolute favorite film when she was a kid. Oh, wow. Very cool. Yeah, I brought it up to uh, actually some friends of mine that I was going to be doing this episode, and one of them turned around and was like, I loved that movie. <laughs> so, I mean, this is, uh, I mean, popular enough. This is not one that I think that gets talked about very often nowadays. Yeah, it's definitely one of those like sort of like it sits in the back of your memory and you don't remember it until someone brings it up and then you absolutely remember everything about the movie and mm. how much you loved it. Yeah, I'm glad we're I'm glad we're finally discussing it. All right, well let's get started with our scene breakdown and we start off with the titles over old pictures of New York and we see some like you know less than stellar photoshopped images <laughs> of a young Hume Crone and Jessica Tandy. Did you notice that? Yeah, some of them were real because they have been married. They were married for a long time, but some of them yeah. were definitely like I don't even know if they were photoshopped. They looked like they were literally like one was like taped on, and then they tried to take a photo <laughs> of the photo to yeah. to put them into the context of the you know of the building. I mean, nowadays it would it wouldn't be that hard to to really photoshop them in, but no, it was a it was a noble effort. <laughs> it, sure, for back in that day, sure, I'll, I'll give that an okay. So. And we see that this old, nearly dilapidated diner and apartment building is the only thing left in this once thriving neighborhood. Uh, Faye returns home, and we see that she is going through some mental memory issues. Um, basically, it's, it's very similar. It's, I don't know. They don't say it, that it's Alzheimer's, but it, it seems like it's something like that. Yeah, it's got to be something like that. Uh, we then meet Marissa, who is a single, well, kind of single pregnant woman uh, who's kind of down on her luck. We meet Carlos, who is this complete asshole. Uh, and we meet Harry, who's kind of this gentle giant type. He find out that he was like a former boxer at one time. We see Carlos is handing out money to everybody. Uh, but, you know, it's not something that people are happy about. He's working for somebody who's trying to pay these tenants out off to move out of the apartment because they want to demolish it and build new stuff around it and build build new stuff on it. I want to say, do you think maybe there's a connection given that Brad Bird was a writer on this with this and up and up? Oh, man, I didn't think about that, but particularly like that. Yeah, that like last scene and all that stuff in this uh-huh. house just kind of stays that look. Yeah, I like that's that is a definite progression. Yeah, maybe they just kind of took that idea, like oh let's let's do this and and re redo it for up or something like that. I yeah. like it. I mean, I gotta think there's got to be some sort of connection. I mean, it's not yeah. it's not a it's not you know they didn't take the movie and no. do it, but the whole idea of oh an old couple who have a, a place that they love mm-hmm. and don't want to give up that yeah, totally makes sense. Exactly. It's this, it's this old house. Absolutely. I absolutely think that there are aspects that, that he might have um, helped with uh, with Up. So so Faye uh, thinks everybody is Bobby. She keeps saying this, oh, Bobby, Bobby. Oh, she, Literally everyone she calls Bobby, who is her son, mm-hmm. um, especially Carlos. And Carlos is this, this asshole villain guy who's kind of an underling, it seems, you know, from the guy who owns the building or wants to buy out, out the building, stuff like that. Uh, Frank refuses to move, though. He does not want to go anywhere. And so in retaliation, Carlos and his little couple guys trash the diner. I particularly didn't care for uh, when Frank talks to the police officer. And that police officer was a complete 
putts. He's a complete yeah. asshole. He's just like, well, they'll just keep coming. And it's like, well, they're fucking destroying property. We're right. like the worst cop ever. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. he was probably on the take from the uh, from the the business guy too. Yeah, I think that's that would have made sense. I would have liked to see like something about it. Otherwise, I just thought he was a te- terrible, terrible police officer. Yeah. So. Uh, we meet Mason, uh, who also lives in this old bit complex. You know, he's trying to get it to uh, be nominated for historical preservation. And we also find out he's an artist and he kind of just likes living in this old dumpy kind of style house. It, you know, it helps motivate him. Uh, but his girlfriend is just fed up and she uh, she does say a nice, a funny little line. And to think that I've been telling my friends that it's so cool living with an artist. You never once asked to paint me nude. You never once asked to paint me nude, and she was all upset. You know, she wanted she she wanted to be a nude model for her uh, art boyfriend. So that was kind of funny. <laughs> Sid and Muriel uh, are friends of Faye and Frank, and they live in the building. But they took the money. Mm-hmm. You know, we see that they are they've probably lived together for a long time. Um, especially you see how much Muriel. Muriel helps Faye with things and her medicine and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But they they don't want to live there anymore. You know, they they need, want to move to a little retirement community and the money is helping them do that. So this upsets Frank, of course, because he doesn't want to leave the place that he loves. As Frank takes care of Faye, just overall, we kind of get a little scene of kind of the reality of having to take care of somebody whose memory is fading and their mind slipping at all. And that just that just kind of got me a little in the feels, honestly. Yeah. Uh, Mason throws out his paintings because he's all pissed off about being a kind of a failed artist, which we see Marissa just kind of takes a look at him. So she just kind of notices all those paintings in the street that he threw. And overall, life is just pretty rough for these people in the building. Until, John. <laughs> that night, we see this miniature UFO flying around, and we get no explanation um, from these UFOs at all. Uh, but they're fully robotic kind of beings, you know, just their own. Like, I guess I'm assuming they're some kind of aliens. But uh, I want to say the graphics are decent. Yeah, it wasn't bad. Yeah, it, it, they're not amazing. But I'd say for that time, you know, overall, I was pretty pleased rewatching this when it comes to the graphics side of things. Yeah, I mean, there were a few things where you're like, okay, that's clearly a green screen. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think they did too much in the way of, of computer graphics if they had much at all. They were, yeah. A lot of that stuff was clear little puppets and stuff on strings <laughs> and stuff like that. But you know what? It With the way that they were acting and stuff like that, it really didn't matter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, overall, it, it, it just worked. Uh, but we do see that these uh, little robotic creatures, they love getting juiced on electricity. <laughs> they <laughs> got kinda, an addiction, man. Yeah, they do. They love it. So uh, we see Faye, Faye wakes up. Uh, she sees some weird stuff happening, and uh, this, a toaster is moving up the stairs and things like that. So she follows it, and she finds the UFOs. Uh, we cut to the morning. All those things that were broken yesterday in the diner, Tons of glass and, and tables and other stuff were, had all been destroyed. Everything was completely fixed. And just like, holy crap, what the hell happened? Like, they were kicked in doors that Mason realizes that that's all fixed. Like, mm-hmm. it's, it's just like it's brand new. You don't even see, like, anything fixed with it. Um, Marissa's statue, she had a little, like, saint statue that was all p- completely put back together. They go up to the roof where Faye is, and Faye... It's like she's feeding chickens. I love it. She's got all these nuts and bolts that she's just throwing out and just uh, feeding like her little her little UFOs, which uh, 
which we think is particularly cute. Of course, everyone thinks she's crazy. Um, and eventually those UFOs do show themselves to the rest of the people. So, yeah, we cut to the diner where everything was completely fixed and it's all back to its old self and some old style music plays on the jukebox. The, you know, the people of the complex are trying to figure out what these things are. There's nothing in the papers about them. Um, they ultimately have no clue, and they just little are literally live robotic beings, mm-hmm. basically using the machinery that, that they can find. It's like, oh, the parts of a toaster or parts of whatever, this and that, a blender or whatever, that they're using those pieces to, cr- to basically create themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or at least, like, you know, repair themselves, I would say. Right. Carlos eventually comes in and wants to know who has been cleaning up. And we like, I like a little, the one of the UFOs smacks him in the back of the head with a pan <laughs> that's flying around. Uh, and so he sees like this, you know, the flying stuff and things just being wacky and f- ends up following them to the roof and follows them into like their little hutch that whatever that they have. And he gets electrocuted and he just screams <laughs> and he runs the fuck out of the building. <laughs> I, I totally forgot about that part until right before it was about to happen, and <laughs> yeah. it still made me laugh. It still made me laugh. It is definitely funny. He had that classic, like, electric hair, you know, goes everywhere, right. and he just, just had to just exactly do his funny-ass scream. Mason, uh, yeah, finds out that they're using electronics to kind of build their own bodies. Uh, that night, we see the UFO couple are kind of dancing. So there's these two UFOs at this point. Mm-hmm. They're just like, it's like, a, I guess a male and a female, if you will. And they're kind of dancing. And then uh, that little shack on the roof, it lights up like crazy. <laughs> and people are like, what the heck's going on? And Faye's like, can't you tell? And I'm like, yeah, they're fucking John. <laughs> crazy robot sex. Crazy, crazy robot sex. So I also think it's kind of a little funny where Faye is assuming that they're going to be hungry because, you know, they just <laughs> fucked. And so she has all the tenants bring up a bunch of extension cords and they so they can get juiced uh, while, while they're up in their uh, little shack there. Uh, we see Carlos and his guys are just kind of pissed, overall pissed about what's happening with the building and who's helping them. Curious about what the hell's going on. So they're going to have to try and investigate further. Uh, we see some flirting between Marissa and Mason, mm-hmm. you know, and that's a nice little thing because she has a boyfriend, but he's never around. And obviously Mason and his girlfriend just broke up. Um, so we assume, yeah, like the father of the person who got Marissa pregnant, um, but he's never, he's like a musician. Mm-hmm. Those damn musicians. Damn musicians. As I see all the musical drum set and stuff behind <laughs> you. Yeah. So. People are really curious, you know, why, how these things came to be, you know, what, uh, you know, how they got there. But honestly, Frank just doesn't want to investigate. He's just like, the quickest way to end a miracle is to ask it why it is or what it wants. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he just realizes they were all in like they're everybody was in a bit of need right now. And these things came to help. I want to so. I want to ask you something. We have we passed the part where uh, Mason like uses a magnifying glass to like look inside of him. Yes, yeah, that's when they, I, I he when he realized that when he noticed like parts of the pieces. Right. So yeah, we did pass that. You see like the circuitry. Yeah. So I want to ask you this. I actually I think I really believed when I was a kid that what he was seeing 
were the beings that were actually alive inside the machine and that the machine was actually just uh, actually just a UFO of little tiny microscopic oh. alien life forms. Did you little get little light creatures? Yeah, did you get that? I didn't. I took that and I don't really remember. No, even as a kid I never thought they were little beings inside. Okay. I thought the robots were the beings and those are that was just like kind of like seeing their blood flowing if you will. Okay. I think or something like that. I think I think that more now. I think you're right. Yeah. But when I was a kid, I absolutely thought that what was inside was like a whole okay. like civilization of people. Oh, interesting. How do you explain the fucking? Uh, what did what did young John think about that fucking? I I don't remember, Adam. I wish I had a <laughs> funny answer for you, but I don't. Okay. So we see things at the uh, in the building are going wild. There's just tons of use of power happening right now, and the female UFO, her little. Door hatch opens, and she gives birth to two little baby robots. They look like little uh, rounded baby ATSTs. They ca- oh, they totally did because they were on. They had their little walker legs. Yep. Absolutely. <laughs> then out comes a third, but it's stillborn. Harry says the line, "Batteries not included." Ha! <laughs> that's the name of the movie, John. <laughs> but um, that is actually his first line in the film. Right. Harry is kind of was very quiet. He didn't really say anything ever. Uh, so that was his first line. So they end up burying it, which Mason wants to, to dissect it, which ends up upsetting Marissa. Obviously, she's pregnant and would be very sensitive to that kind of issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, Harry then runs over, grabs it, and takes the stillborn baby robot alien thing uh, to his apartment. We cut to the diner, which is uh, way back in business and doing great right now. Construction workers who have been like tearing down everything around them or and would be the people tearing down that building are all eating there, having a good time. Uh, like the, the quote unquote father slash, uh, you know, adult male robot is helping flip burgers and shit like that. And just some comedy stuff. And one of the baby gets some <laughs> cheese flopped on its head and served as a burger. <laughs> it's honestly, it's pretty damn cute. Yeah. So and even Faye is doing better kind of working, you know, just kind of on the line or not working on the line, but like out in the uh, restaurant and taking orders and whatnot. Just things are things are kind of moving how they used to. And it's feeling good for people Uh, until Carlos comes in and he's a dick, of course. But Faye keeps calling him Bobby, which upsets her or upsets him. We do see he sees a whole stack of uh, flying buns. So he is the one person who is like, you know, seeing all this crazy shit going on. No one else notices it. So he's freaked out. So uh, throughout a lot of this, we do see some interactions with the construction workers. And they have like sort of one construction worker who's the guy who gets all the lines. It would be very easy for them to make, well, this is an 80s movie because we see it a lot where like all of the construction workers are all evil and they're all for the company and they just want to do Yeah. I like the fact that they really portray these guys as they're just guys doing a job. And yeah. they probably feel sorry for these residents who are getting kicked out, but they're, you know, they're hired to do a job and they're going to do their job. But they like the guy was like, "Hey, everything smells good. They want to come in. They probably want to, you know, give these people some money before they feel they're probably going to get kicked out of their home somehow." You know, I mean, the guys are hungry and there's a diner right there. Why wouldn't you, even if you are eventually going to tear it out, why wouldn't you take advantage of it? Especially if the food smells like it tastes, you know, is going to be good. So yeah. I, I really like that they didn't make the construction workers the villains. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I never really thought about that until you brought it up. But you're right. So many times, like everyone in, in an organization or in the quote unquote evil organization is also evil just by de facto 
because the you know the movie just wants to portray them all as evil. But yeah, those these are just blue collar dudes. These are the kind of people that uh, Frank and Faye would have served to you know back in the day as well. And yeah. so um, even though they are the guys that would tear it down, like they're not bad guys at all. None of them seem to be. Carlos and kind of his gang, and then obviously you know the uh, the the main main dudes and kind of his just immediate lackeys, the Lacey and their immediate lackeys yeah. are the only like bad people. Meanwhile, while that's going on, Harry fixes the uh, robot and kind of brings it to life. That was the stillborn baby robot. So now there's all three of them. They're all back together. So, well, they're not back together yet, but yeah, he brings it back to life. We see uh, Mason is really trying to, you know, hit on Marissa a little bit and just also just take care of her. He brings her a bunch of food, comes into her apartment and drops off all this food is when he realizes that she took all the art that he threw out. He was gone and he thought a dump truck took it, but it ended up ended up being Marissa, which obviously just shows that, okay, she likes your stuff and kind of maybe likes you. Yeah, I got to say. I don't I don't know what it is about Elizabeth Pena. I have always had some sort of weird crush <laughs> on Elizabeth Pena. Well, she I mean she's an attractive person and she's a hell of an actress, so I I get I, it. I just it, I I can't explain it. like every movie she's in, I'm like, god, that's a good-looking woman. Yeah, very much so. At Mr. Lacey's office, who is the guy who not doesn't own the building, but he's trying to buy out the building, mm-hmm. condemn it and then make all these, you know, we see his plans, which are basically to you know, demolish that whole you know block and then create these massive skyscrapers. See, this also brings up another point: who actually owns the building? Yeah, because I, <laughs> I, I would, I would assume that whoever owned that building probably owned a lot of the other buildings. And if they got rid of one of them, they were going to get rid of all of them. And in re- in mm-hmm. in reality, if the owner said, "I'm selling to this company," and the company said, "Move out," they would have no choice but to move out. Correct. And so why he was like, yeah, trying to. <laughs> give them money to move out. Uh, yeah, uh, we really don't know have any idea. I uh, maybe it's Frank and Faye because they own the diner That's, and and you know that is possible. They never really say. And and maybe what they're you know maybe what they're doing is they're trying to buy them out out of out of, out of what would have been, you know, like a lease contract or something like that. Uh-huh. Or just the incentive, but yeah, they they never do really say who actually owns the whole building. Yeah, which would have been the important part because yes, if he just Got to went to whoever owned it, and then they that person could would have to kick them out once they sold the building. Mm-hmm. Simple as that. That is kind of strange. So, all right, Mason uh, paints Marissa. I uh, <laughs> we'll see. I do like behind him. Behind him, one of the little UFO kids is playing with his paints. That's kind of cute. Uh, and then Marissa they walks over, and though Marissa was not nude. Mason paints her nude <laughs> and little John who had a crush on Elizabeth Pena probably really enjoyed uh, seeing that painting. Uh, oh yeah. It was very lovely. <laughs> it was very lovely. So, but it was also kind of funny cause he's like, yeah, I took some artistic liberties. <laughs> <laughs> so it was kind of funny. Uh, but unfortunately then Marissa's boyfriend, the musician returns home. And so just as we think, she and Mason are kind of connecting. She kind of excitedly runs off to go see her boyfriend. Uh, Then a little scene where the babies are trying to learn to fly, stuff like that. Then the third one joins in and they're all like, you know, the the brother and sister robots are joined together. And it's kind of cute. Harry says, we bring good things to life. We bring good things to life, which is an is an advertising slogan for GE. So we know batteries not included is like a classic. Thing that is, is said in a lot of yeah. toys or ads or whatnot. Harry, throughout this entire film, his speech 
is only things he's seen on TV. Uh, Frank says something at the beginning, and all he does is watch TV. Yeah. I mean, other than working as the superintendent, but... Yes. That evening, Mason finds out that um, Marissa's boyfriend, Hector, pretty much is going to ditch her to go out on tour again or whatnot, but Marissa said she wanted to stay, and she wants to stay with Miss Mason. And so they kiss, and so, yes, yay, they are going to kind of continue their relationship. Carlos comes in that night, and he breaks all the shit for their that's supplying power, all the power boxes and pipes to really fuck up and try and get them to leave. And so the UFOs come down to investigate, and Carlos sees it, and he clobbers it with his axe. He just butchers one of it, like, on the side of its yeah. face, basically. Mason and Frank confront him, but he is able to get away uh, until Harry comes in, grabs his boxing gloves, and he starts punching him, which isn't hurting Harry at all. And Harry, like, kicks his ass. He <laughs> says, before he uh, basically punches him through the door, he says, I'll take door number one. I'll take door number one and <laughs> says that to him. And <laughs> Carlos punches Carlos through the door, which, you know, is... Pretty much from uh, like Monty Hall's Let's Make a Deal or something like that. Uh, Faye is upset at this point because she thinks that they just hurt her Bobby. Mm-hmm. And here Frank like just gets a little bit tired and and or tired of her, you know, constantly calling Carlos Bobby and what she said. And we learn a little bit more about him. She, he says, no, Bobby is dead. And then she gets so upset and yells at Frank. You know, it's just a stressful moment because there's this is a very traumatic time for them, obviously, because right. this son died and um, she doesn't see she can't seem to fathom it in that fight that was happening. The babies flew away scared. And so now Harry and Marissa and Frank and Mason have to go try to find them. Uh, Harry grabs a little bullhorn, jumps onto like the top of this like uh, billboard area and blows his dog whistle because he apparently trained the the youngest one uh, very quickly or <laughs> Whatever with this dog whistle. <laughs> Meanwhile, uh, we see that Lacey hires some guy to commit arson in the building. He's basically fucking tired of this shit, and he's going <laughs> to commit crimes to burn the building down. Uh, the babies hear the whistle and come back to Harry, who says the line, Don't leave home without it. <laughs> Don't leave home without it. Uh-huh. American Express <laughs> ad. <laughs> so... He does. He only speaks in TV. Yep. Uh, the babies and the other UFO, the mom UFO, fix the dad who was hit by the axe. But rightfully so, that little robot alien is pissed from being <laughs> that he just got, you know, axed in the face, basically to, almost to death. And so he takes the family and he leaves, including the baby that uh, Harry had, had grown so attached to already. Mm-hmm. Carlos uh, finds the guy who was uh, who was setting the place to burn. But Carlos is f- wigging out at this point because he's upset because he wants to prove himself so badly. He can he makes little comments that he wants to kind of prove himself and he thinks that working for Lacey is his meal ticket. So he wants to uh, prove that he can do it. So he starts, you know, fucking things up. He wants to burn all this shit up as they leave and, and you know, things are about to set to go off. We see Faye from the window because she didn't go anywhere. She didn't leave. She needed to go kind of rest after that fight uh, mm-hmm. with Frank. And so she didn't leave the building. She yells from the window, Bobby, you let him go and get up here this instant. They're all, now he's all upset because he has to run in because he, he doesn't want to kill her. And so Carlos runs in to try and save her and pull her out. But, you know, she ends up slapping him. Like, what are you doing? You know, Bobby and slaps him when he's trying to pull her and yank her out. And so Carlos then tries to kind of play the role of Bobby right. to kind of help trick her. And like, so, you know, he's being all 
extra cheesy. Gee willikers, Mom. Gee whiz, Mom. I'm sorry. I... I just wanted to show you something. Show me? What? My... My car. Yeah, gosh, don't you remember the new car? This is when uh, Faye kind of flips and she's about the car and, you know, talking about with Frank is that I immediately then remembered, and maybe it's because I've seen the movie before. I was like, oh, yeah. So, I mean, we knew the kid died, but it's definitely a car wreck because multiple times they actually had set up. Mm-hmm. Faye had mentioned, you know, Bobby wanting to show Frank the car, um, other stuff like that. So he definitely died of a car wreck when uh, when he, she kind of gets away from him and locks him out of the door. She grabs a newspaper that says 18-year-old killed in a car wreck. So, you know, all that stuff is really kind of, you know, I don't I don't think it was meant to that this was the triggering factor for her memory loss. But I think mm-hmm. whatever she has, be it Alzheimer's or dementia or whatever. Right. Um, it was compounded by just this constant trauma or that common trauma that happened. Yeah. Which must have been a while ago, but still. Well, yeah, it probably was. And, and they kind of like... She makes she makes all these like little references, and you can kind of piece together the story of what probably happened to Bobby, which was mm-hmm. uh, probably uh, Bobby and Frank didn't get along. Um, mm-hmm. Frank had a bit of a temper. Bobby was probably sick of it. He finally got a car, and then pretty much as soon as he got a car, boom, he gets killed in a car wreck. Yeah, that seems to be the gist. So the place goes up in flames. Um, you know, they couldn't get her out in time. Carlos breaks into Faye's room, pulling her from the burning building, uh, taking her down the fire escape and the others return to see that building ablaze. So Faye, uh, gets taken away in an ambulance and the building comes down, you know, in the morning, we cut to the morning and we kind of see again, the construction guys who have a lot of sympathy for, uh, the Rileys and the diner and stuff like that. Harry is just sitting on the stoop, just kind of in disbelief. Mm-hmm. And, you know, everything's gone. The construction crew is like, no, we're not going anymore until this guy moves. You know, we can't we can't break stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can't demolish the rest until he's gone. So he basically just uh, sits sits there until night the entire day. Then we see the UFO family has come back and they brought a fuck ton of their friends. <laughs> So, uh, as Frank and Faye leave the hospital, you know, they they decided they're going to go to the same place that Muriel and Sid went to. Uh, we see Carlos at the hospital who brought flowers uh, and maybe donuts or something. But to Faye, you know, uh, he's he's trying to reach out. Yeah. Frank even tries to help with, you know, with Faye trying to say, oh, look, it's Bobby. He came to see you. But at this point she's she's been disillusioned by her own you know illusion by now and so she even she doesn't think it's bobby anymore yeah cops get the uh residents we see the a couple different cops grabbing a couple different of those people say hey you need to come with us and they take them to the building which has been rebuilt completely and it looks better than ever like back to its original state it's a miracle we hear even the you can kind of hear the historical uh, society lady praising it yeah as they drive by or whatnot, it's, it's, it's pretty funny. So Lacey is, of course, pissed, uh, but the place, the building looks fantastic. Uh, the UFOs all fly off, and this wonderful music swells and plays, and we kind of transition into the future, crossfade into um, all these skyscrapers, and the camera uh, either you know tilts down or cranes down or something, and we see that amidst all these massive skyscrapers, this one little historic building uh, has stayed unchanged between them. 
in the in the scene where uh, where they get back to the building and they see for the first time that it's put back, there's actually a, a fairly famous actor that's in the background, and that's uh, Luis Guzman. Oh, the character actor. Yeah. I like. I mean, like some character actor, but I mean, he's a fucking awesome actor. We we mentioned him before on this show. Yeah, you can you can see him walking by uh, Frank and Faye. Oh, very cool. I didn't did not realize that. Didn't notice that at all. So, um, you know, now we see that yeah, the diner is doing great. The the building is good, and the credits roll with a happy little moment there. So, uh, that is the end of our film, and that is the end of Batteries Not Included. So, John, you and your wife watched this one. How did you guys feel rewatching this movie? Uh, so we 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 did rewatch it. We also made our kids watch it. Okay. So they watched it with us. I think overall they enjoyed it, um, okay. especially once the little you know cute aliens came in. I think at the beginning it was a little slow, and they might have had a little hard time then. But then after that, after the aliens are introduced, everything moves a little bit quicker. Things get interesting. I think they actually did enjoy it. I'm not sure that they'll ever specifically ask for it again. I could be wrong. They've surprised me before with movies mm-hmm. that I didn't think they would like to watch again, but they have. My wife loved going back to rewatch it. And you know what? I was a little apprehensive that it wasn't going to hold up. Overall, I have to say, I had a good time watching it. And maybe it was because I was with my family, but I didn't really find it to be slow. Um, I actually did kind of enjoy finding out the backstory and the history of like Frank and Faye and some of the other characters and the sort of the sadness of the Bobby story, I think was 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 good enough to kind of keep it from being too cheesy all the time. It gave it a little bit of seriousness, some moments where if, if you wanted to cry, it was warranted. Mm-hmm. So overall, I have to say, I actually really did enjoy going back and revisiting this film. Um, I similarly to you had uh, at least like apprehension watching this one, mm-hmm. uh, like going into it, because I remember not really loving this film when I was younger. Um, I thought it was fine when I was younger, but it wasn't one that I like clinged onto. I always liked, uh, you know, like the more goofy or the fun or you know right. the wacky stuff or whatnot. And so what does adult Adam think about this one? Does it hold up? <laughs> Actually, yeah, it does. Cool. Uh, so I found myself, even though you give zero explanation to these UFO alien robotic things. Um, we really know, are those little tons of little mini creatures having a society in there? <laughs> are they whatever? Ultimately, I found myself not giving a fuck by the end. Mm-hmm. And I was actually able to kind of disconnect and just enjoy the fantastical, overall, really cute story. You know, it's um, it's not the best story in the world. It's not the, you know, the, the best movie in the world. But I found myself, I could just kind of sit back, sit and enjoy, like, you know, this 90 minutes of something that was just an overall enjoyable film, an enjoyable little end on a happy note movie. And if you guys want to go out and just kind of, you know, have a little feel good film, I think Batteries Not Included absolutely holds up. I, the IMDb rating on here, I'm just kind of looking at it, it says 6.7 out of 10. Mm-hmm. I'd round that up to a 7, and I'd say this movie is a solid 7 out of 10. Yes, I I totally agree with that. And I would say as an adult, I got more out of it because, yes, I picked because you could dissect some of those Mm -hmm. conversations um, between Frank and Faye and you could understand, you know, as a kid, you didn't really realize uh, maybe that Harry, the stuff he was saying was only, 
you know, stuff from commercials. But now we heard like, oh man, he watches too much TV and then he just only talks in TV stuff. Right. And like, it, you just, you make those little connections better as an adult and all of it just works better for you. So yeah. I, yeah, solid, solid pick. All right, now we are going to talk something that is firmly in my nostalgia. <laughs> we are talking Beast Wars Transformers. So this show was from 1996 to 1999. Three seasons, 52 episodes. It was developed by Larry Dettilio and Bob Forward. Bob Ford wrote on shows like Brave Star, uh, the Filmation Ghostbusters show, Biker Mice from Mars, plenty of stuff. And Dettilio wrote for things like He-Man, She-Ra, Babylon 5, as well as the California Raisins mm. cartoon. So I noticed two different names that were credited as writers on this show that each wrote like an episode. And I think they're going to be people that you recognize. Okay. One is Len Wine. Do you recognize that name? I definitely recognize that name, but I could not tell you where from. You probably recognize some things that he has created. He has created Swamp Thing. He created Wolverine, oh. Nightcrawler, Storm, and Colossus. And he also was the editor on the uh, Watchmen graphic novel. Oh, on Alan wow. Moore's Watchmen graphic novel. So that is a massive uh, comic guy. So yeah, he co-created all those awesome characters. And then, so he wrote an episode for the show. And then Marv Wolfman or Wolfman um, is another name that you might recognize. I definitely recognize that name too. Okay. Because for DC, he created Cyborg, Raven, Starfire, Deathstroke, uh, the character of Tim Drake, uh, the adaptation into Nightwing. So he yeah. was a Teens Titan writer. He, he was, I think he was the writer on the uh, Death in the Family. Oh, issues maybe. when um when the I uh, Jason am I Todd? thinking of that right? I think there's that. It's I'm either remembering that or I'm remembering that he created Tim Drake. Yeah, yeah. And so Teen Titans is one of his big thing, and also yes, Tim Drake. And then on the Marvel side of things, Wolfman created Blade, Nova, Bullseye, and the uh, Spider-Man kind of romantic character Black Cat. Ah, okay. So a lot of cool stuff from those two. I mean, very big names in comics that wrote for a little bit for Beast Wars, which was cool. Yeah. You can consider this show a spinoff from the original Transformers. Um, it was set, actually set. Well, it's like a pre-sequel, we'll call it. It's set in 300 plus years after the events of the old Transformers, but they go back in time. So it's before any of those events happen. So it's kind of weird. The cast on this show. Optimus Primal is voiced by Gary Chalk, who has over 400 credits. Uh, he has been Optimus on multiple occasions, and uh, he's also voices on the Dragon Double Dragon cartoon, so we might have talked about him then. Uh, also on <laughs> Reboot, which we talked about with our buddy Dean. If you remember that, you were not a fan of Reboot. No. No, which Reboot was the first all-CG show. Um, this was kind of like the basically the second all-CG show. It's made... You'll, there's a lot of Reboot people in this one because it was made by the same people who made Reboot. That makes sense. So Optimus Primal is the leader of the Maximals, and he's a gorilla that turns into a robot, obviously. So uh, Megatron. So he is named after the uh, classic Megatron. He's like the namesake 
uh, from the from that original one. He is voiced by David Kay, who has over 300 credits himself. Um, he is actually the narrator slash the VO guy for Last Week Tonight with John Oliver. Okay. Um, anytime they have like this, you know, they're um, he's the guy that they use. Uh, he was Professor X in X-Men Evolution, if you knew that show. Uh, he was Raccoon in Dragon Ball Z, the ocean dub. So I'll talk about a couple different people who are in Dragon Ball Z, but it's all the ocean dub, if people are curious about that. And he's Clank in the Ratchet and Clank series uh, for oh. video games. Cool. And Megatron, as p- most people know from Transformers, he's the leader. This one's the leader of the Predacons, uh, and he is a T-Rex. So there's, yeah, the Autobots and the Autobots and Decepticons are now Maximals and Predacons. So just... <laughs> throwing that out there yep. rat trap dinobot waspinator and others were voiced by scott mcneil who has over 400 credits himself uh he voiced piccolo in dragon ball z ocean dub uh, wolverine in x-men evolution he was in reboot he was in the double dragon cartoon tons of stuff cheetor is voiced by ian james corlett who uh has over 200 credits he's goku in dragon ball z ocean dub for quite a bit he's uh, street sharks Double Dragon. Uh, he was Mega Man in the show Mega Man. Okay. Actually. And then Rhinox is voiced by Richard Newman. Over 200 credits. He was uh, Captain Ginyu in Oolong in Dragon Ball Z. And he's in the Street Fighter cartoon as well. Hmm. And then the last person I'm going to mention is Black Arachnia was voiced by Venus Terzo. Over 200 credits herself. And uh, I remember most from the X-Men Evolution show. She was Jean Grey. Okay. So. So, yeah, so there's a lot of similarities um, with this friend coming from Transformers as opposed to Autobots Decepticons. They were kind of given an upgrade to Maximals and Predacons, um, which mammals, Maximals, Predacons, Predators. It's kind of how obviously they did that. Um, but they are they're both descendants from the original Autobots and mm-hmm. Decepticons. One thing I do want to bring up is the music. I really like the music. And in with that is the theme song. It is actiony. It's like electronic guitar heavy. Mm-hmm. It's super cool. Like the guitar wails at times. I love it. Uh, what about you? I mean, did you? You're you like you like some of that stuff. You're a music guy. Did you notice? Did you watch? How many episodes did you watch for this show? For this, uh, I was only able to watch one episode, okay. but I watched one full episode. I thought the theme song was fine. Um, I don't yeah. think I got as much out of it as you did, but uh, well, I I mean, I have heavy dose nostalgia for this yes. show. Yeah, I ended up watching the first eight episodes. Because I was like, well, you know what? I'm just going to watch like the first one and then I'll dump to another one. Because I've seen the show plenty of times. And actually, I remember like about, it wasn't five years ago. It was like three years ago. I went back and I watched, I think maybe, yeah, three or four years ago, watched this entire show all the way through. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I had seen it fairly recently or recently enough. Do you have it on DVD? I don't have it on DVD, but I should. I okay. need to get it on DVD. But actually, right now you can get every episode on Tubi. Yes, that's where I found it as well. Yeah, I think Tubi's awesome. I really, really like Tubi now. Yeah. You just got to put up with some ads. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, like, if the rest of it's free, who cares? Right. doesn't bother me. But yeah, so I I got started. And once I got started, I didn't want to stop. And so I <laughs> kept going. So I ended up with eight uh, episodes. 
So that music, the music for the show is done by Robert Buckley, who did a reboot music as well, uh, which I remember being pretty guitar and pretty, uh, you know, heavy and uh, pretty cool stuff as well with that one. The animation, as I mentioned, it's full CGI, uh, the entire show. I'll say I can watch this show without a problem animation wise, but I totally understand, particularly there's a difference with the character design and, you know, the people when you're interacting with that. And then the backgrounds, when you look at the backgrounds and like all of the kind of stuff around them or the textures of the characters, it's really bad. It's really like early CGI, mm. like when they're, you know, because you, you know that the that the uh, world that they're on is supposed to have a bunch of grass and trees and whatnot. And everything just looks kind of flat and weird looking. It just doesn't seem right. Um, so the CG doesn't hold up. But I do think with the actual characters themselves, they look really good. Okay. Uh, you do you <laughs> okay? <laughs> you don't seem to agree on that one. I I really don't. Okay. I really don't agree. You don't think that they like I had a really hard time with the animation. Wow. Even like when they're in like their robot form that didn't that didn't look cool to you? No, not really. <laughs> Damn. Well, one thing that this show does, actually I'd say fairly similar to a lot of like shows at that time. Um, and, and, and earlier is reused animation. I noticed that mm. quite a bit, uh, particularly when they transform. You know, it's like Optimus, uh, Maximize. Every single time someone had to transform either that or in like the beast mode, they would like basically have everybody say their thing. And so you had to like have Optimus and then his. Uh, transformation. They go over to Dinobot, and he would say, "Dinobot, maximize!" And then his transformation, and then Rat Trap, and then go through all the Predacons. And so you would see that they they spent a lot of time on the show, just seeing them go back and forth between animal and machine. Yeah, and you see that I see that a lot with like just different cartoons. I mean, uh, or throw that in with um, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. You know, while they right. would do whatever, he would do their little animations, and it was just a reused or Sailor Moon. Think Sailor right. Moon when they had to transform. It was all the same shit over a, and over again. It's a great way to fill time. Yeah, absolutely. And you don't have to redo the animation. You just have to take that exact computer animated character, plop him in a different background. Right. Much easier. So, or like every time He Man would uh, transform. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. So, um, there are actually a lot of references to the Generation One Transformers. Um, actually there's even a time when the Megatron here finds the gen one, like the Autobots sees like Optimus prime and he flies over like, um, sound wave and things like that. So it's pretty cool because they're all, they're working, they're all in the same universe and even Starscream makes an appearance on the, in the show. Mm. Like it's like the spark, the spark of Starscream takes over one of the bodies of one of the Decepticons. But that idea, you mean the, you mean the Predacons? What'd I say? You said Decepticons. Ah, yes, I meant Predacons. My bad. Um, but that idea, that idea of the spark or the soul of a Transformer came from this show. That wasn't in the original. And they have actually, I believe, used the idea of like the spark in the Michael Bay Transformers and whatnot. Mm. But that originated here. And so there is some stuff that this this show was pretty influential into the, the, Star, the Transformers universe. Okay. And actually, it was so influential... They actually have a Transformers Hall of Fame. It's kind of weird, but okay. like they had they had some uh, some inductions. So the first like inductions, and this is like 2012, I think it was when they started this. And so it was like Optimus Prime, Megatron, 
I think Soundwave was in the first group and whatnot. And then there was, they gave it to like four like classic characters. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the fifth one was decided by audience vote. And so there was like um, Grimlock, maybe Starscream was in that group. I don't remember. Some mm-hmm. other ones and Dinobot and Dinobot won and became the first uh, in the first wave of Transformers Hall of Fame. He got into uh, the Hall of Fame based on fan vote, which I thought was particularly cool, showing that this show actually had a pretty good following. Yeah, it appears. Yeah. <laughs> you sound so not interested. That is a shame, my man. Um, <laughs> what you should not be interested is the sequel. The sequel is called Beast Machines. I didn't watch Beast Machines. I tried it out like the first episodes or two when I was younger, and maybe I got too old for it. But probably just because it sucked ass and they redesigned everybody <laughs> and I didn't like the looks of any of them. Um, I think because they changed production companies and shit like that. I hated Beast Machines. It might be better now as an adult, but when I was younger, and but it probably wouldn't be better now because I have no nostalgia value for it. Right. But because I, I just hated how they retooled the looks of them. And the animation was totally different, the style and everything. So... Just like any Transformers, you kind of go through some different generations, if you will. So they kind of have like their regular, you know, Transformers period. And then there was this whole section with they call Fusors, which was an amalgam of animals. There was one that was like a, a wolf and a eagle that was put together or a wolf and a hawk. I think that was put together. Uh, there was a uh, what is he? He's a scorpion and a cobra put together. I actually have a toy of that one. I was I was actually just about to ask you if we had any of the toys. Hell yes, we had these toys. So I actually had a first gen Optimus and Megatron, uh, which at that point it was they came out. Those toys came out before the show came out and they had some wrong animals that they were. The The Optimus Primal was a bat and <laughs> Megatron was an alligator. <laughs> so wow. they obviously changed things up and they made Optimus definitely much cooler uh, with a gorilla. Yeah. And then Megatron went to a dinosaur, which is pretty cool. So, yeah, I had, besides those Optimus and Megatron, I had Rat Trap, Scorponok, Rampage, Tarantulas, Razorclaw, and uh, Quick Strike, who is the uh, Scorpion slash Cobra thing. So, uh, this was my toy show. This was, like, this was my favorite, some of my favorite toys mm-hmm. were these Beast Wars Transformers because Beast Wars was one of my favorite cartoons in the 90s mm-hmm. there is and i will always probably say gargoyles is probably my number one beast wars is probably my number two right below it okay so i definitely remember you watching this a lot this would have been about the time that i was in high school and was not spending a lot of time watching cartoons i did a little bit mm-hmm. but i was probably i was also in high school i do remember i was big into doing my music thing. So I was spending a lot of time kind of on my own playing guitar and other stuff like that. Yeah. You, you'd grown out past like these kind of cartoon action shows at this point, but I was um, 11, 12 when right. they came out. So that was perfect time for me besides. So the Fusors, they also had trans metals where they kind of got overhauled look like kind of chromey looking vibes to them and trans metal mm-hmm. twos as well. And a lot of the show just ultimately dealt with, you know, the Maximals and Predacons um, and just kind of like, I don't know, just like their overall, not really adventures, but their battle um, and kind of for superiority. Part of that was these stasis pods that would fly down in like every every like, you know, so and so episodes, some stasis pods would come down. And so the it was kind of a race between the Maximals and the Predacons to get to them. 
to so they could take those protoforms, as they called them, and then imprint either Maximal or Predacon programming, uh, which is basically between like the adding of fusors and then upgrading of people to transmetals and then bringing on these new protoforms. It's all ways to introduce new characters, which is all ways to sell more toys. Right. Of course. Just like Transformers, the classic, it is, it's about the toys and it's about selling those. And so, yeah, we already went over all the toys I had. I'm going to start off. That's all I had on this show. Is there anything else particularly you wanted to bring up? Nope. I didn't think so. Um, I'm going to start off because it's pretty obvious for me, my feelings. Well, so obviously it's obvious for me, my feelings, but I think it's obvious <laughs> for the listeners what my feelings are. This was my generation of Transformers and all the passion that you would hear from Chris Hollister on our Transformers episodes that he had for Transformers is the same passion I have for Beast Wars. I fucking love this show. I absolutely think it holds up. I wouldn't have watched eight straight episodes. And guess what I'm going to do after this, John? Just because I talked about (laughs) them, I'm going to go right back to it. I'm going to rewatch this whole fucking thing. And I am super excited about it because they actually did deal with some more adult stuff you know, the old Transformers, was, was I think, was a little bit too kiddie. This mm-hmm. one, I think they do grow it up a little bit, um, and they tie in some of that, you know, universe stuff with the other Transformers, and like, and I don't know. It's just overall, it's better, it's awesomer, it's super cooler. Turning into, into animals is ten times cooler than turning into a car. I'm fucking sorry. It's not even <laughs> close. Not even fucking close. This is an amazing show, and it is, you know, we haven't done an overall top 10 cartoons show, but I know I spoiled what my one and two would be, but if we mm-hmm. did 90s cartoons, the, it's the, this is in there. This is absolutely in there. I fucking love this show. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> Adam, I, I didn't think you could do it, but you absolutely found a show that I hated more than Animorphs. But come on, I, no way. Yeah, it was bad. God, it was so bad. It was so bad. After I watched one episode, both of my kids went, do we have to continue watching this? No, your change? kids love it. No, they did not. They absolutely hated it. They could not get past the animation. That was their problem. Well, guess guess who's getting Beast Wars <laughs> toys for, for Christmas? <laughs> I don't well, I don't know because my son's kind of at the point where he's starting to outgrow toys a little bit. He still plays yeah. a little bit from time to time. Which which I bought your son Animorphs books for Christmas. <laughs> I don't and I don't know if he's read any of them yet. Oh, he probably hasn't. I'm sure he's like, what the <laughs> fuck is this? But uh, yeah, I did not have a good time watching this. I'm sorry. I I could not get past. I mean, now granted, I watched the the pilot episode essentially. Yeah. Couldn't get past the really bad animation. It's the same reason why I couldn't do reboot as well. I mm. couldn't get past it. I could not. The lines were really cheesy, and the voice acting is great. I mean, the, the voice acting is fine, but it was not enough to keep me coming back for mm. it. Yeah, I did not like this at all. I, I'm so disappointed. I'm disappointed. In I'm you. Honestly, I'm disappointed that you're shocked. Well, I, I I figured you'd probably see this coming. I thought your love of me might, you know, get some of that nostalgia or you kind of seeing it in through the peripherals of, you know, growing up, you would have something for it. I'm mostly disappointed in your son. I thought he would <laughs> dig this shit. No, no, he he really didn't. Because he's right at the age that I adore this show. And well, I still adore this show. But yes, yeah. but he also has better shows to pick from no, now. No, you, you shut your mouth. You shut your mouth, sir. Man, I love this one. 
So, all right, well, all right, that's that's <laughs> Beast Wars, but trust me, it's so good. This episode of the Blast from Our Past podcast is not brought to you by... In the beginning came the beasts, but nature lies. They're robots in disguise. Beast Wars. Heroic new Maximals battle the evil reptile and insect forces of the Predacons. Evil Waspinator changes from insect to high tech and puts the sting on Cheetor. But there's more to Cheetor than meets the eye. Under the skin lurks a robot within, with hidden weapons firing. All new Beast Wars. Each sold separately. All right, and now we're going to do the casting portion of the show. As mentioned at the top, we are going to recast Batteries Not Included. I could maybe see this one being rebooted somehow. Yeah, yeah potentially. Um, I'm sure they would probably try to do something to up the involvement of the little robots. Because at the end of the day, the story really is about the people living mm. in the in the building, and mm-hmm. the, the robots are really just kind of the... MacGuffin to get them to be together and to work together and to do all the stuff. Very true. Um, so we'll do pretty much all the residents. Uh, we'll do Frank and Faye. We'll do Harry. We'll do Marissa and Mason. And then we'll also throw in Carlos. I didn't feel the need to do that other sort of Weasley business guy because he, he only shows up a little bit. And the main, the sort of the main Mr. Lacey or whatever, he only shows up like once or twice. Yeah, he's, he's get any guy in a suit yeah. for him. So... Uh, I feel those are the characters that are that are in the most. Um, the couple in the beginning, they're only there for like the first like f- 10, 15 minutes of the movie, so I didn't feel the need to mm-hmm. to do them. I thought that was enough. So six characters, that's probably good enough. They're the ones that we're going to care about the most. I, I'm torn between seeing this as a movie and maybe seeing this as a series. Hmm. The because I mean you can, it's it's about the lie you know it's about the lives of the people in this building and you could continue to to do that. You know, and how they interact, but the story of them having to save the building can really only happen once. You can't save the building every episode. <laughs> True. I, I think mine is probably just going to be a movie. As would mine. Yeah, I don't think it, you know, I can't see with my actors doing it as a show, personally. Uh, all right, so let's go ahead and start with Carlos, our kind of thug bad guy. And Adam, I'm going to let you start us off. So um, I wanted somebody who could look kind of smarmy or skeezy because uh, Carlos had to look pretty skeezy. And so I went through looking through some different kind of uh, and I wanted to keep him, Carlos, you know, kind of Hispanic, maybe Puerto Rican or, you know, however, you know, kind of the, the nationality that um, Carlos might have been. So I went with uh, an actor who I think fulfills all of that stuff that I just mentioned. I think he's got uh, honestly the perfect look for um, a new Carlos for me. His name is Moises Arias, and he has been in the Hannah Montana show. Uh, he was in King of Staten Island. He was in Nacho Libre. Um, but I take a look at him, and I'm like, I, I can absolutely see kind of like a kind of an in- interesting looking guy, but like he can have like a smarmy or a skeezy look to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I'm looking at his picture, uh, looking at a few other things. I see it for sure. Mm-hmm. Okay. I see it for sure. Um, I didn't see Ender's Game. Nacho Libre was too far back. He was only like twelve in, in Nacho Libre. Yeah, yeah, he played the kid. I'm trying. I'm looking kind of just kind of looking at his stuff. There really isn't anything I've seen him on, so I really, I really. You can't. weren't a big Hannah Montana guy. 
No, didn't see Pitch Perfect 3. But he's got a good look. He's got yeah. a good look, so I will definitely give you that. All right, cool. Um, my actor is actually probably significantly younger. Actually, he's about five years younger, so he's only about 21 now. Um, and the TV show he's on, I think he's playing a teenager. But I was looking at his his profile pic, and we slapped some facial, facial hair on him. He definitely looks a lot older. So I would do I would do that. I would keep the facial hair on him just to kind of keep him looking older. Mm-hmm. And so I'm really basing this off the off the look because I actually have not seen the series that he is on. Um, although my son has expressed interest, but we've got other movies to get through before we can get to it. Uh, I went from uh, with a guy who is on Cobra Kai. His name is Zolo Maradona. Yeah, he is the main guy on Cobra Kai. I actually used him in a casting not too long ago. I've used him a couple times. I like him as an actor. I like that pick. He is, yeah, younger. But the thing is, like, Carlos has got to be young because he's got that hunger that he wants right. to try and prove himself. And so he's got to be in the 20s. And you went with, like, an earlier 20s. I went with, like, a later 20s. So, yeah, I think that fits. I think he's a I – I love him as an actor, so I'm all about that. I think it, he, that fits well. Okay. Uh, all right. Mason. Mason Baylor, the artist. This is the one I had the hardest time with because I felt like I could I could really throw almost anyone into this role, you know, as long as they were a good actor. But I I settled on an actor who is I I always forget how some how old some of these guys actually are, you know. When we talked about uh, we've we've always mm-hmm. talked about uh, um, uh, what's his name in Spider Man who was like a hundred and Tobey Maguire who was at least seventy nine years old. Yeah. <laughs> But I went with the other Spider-Man. I went with Andrew Garfield as my Mason. I mean, he's he's in his mid to late thirties now, so I think he's a good yep. spot. I think that's a that's a solid casting, very solid casting. You can go a couple different routes with Mason, and I think, but that age range, that's I think I went right in that exact same age range. Okay, honestly. I think I think that uh, it's a very good call. He still looks young enough. You could believe yep. he's in his late twenties or early thirties if you want to. I mean, he's in. He, it says I think he was born in eighty three, so he's in his mm-hmm. late thirties now. But I mean, he still looked fairly young in No Way Home. I don't know if they de-aged him at all or if he just you know takes good care of his skin. But <laughs> it, it worked for me. Yeah, definitely I, worked. And what about you, Adam? Uh, so I went with an actor who I haven't really seen the stuff that he's done recently, though he has kept making plenty of movies. I do think he has um, hopefully fixed his image because he was well known as being a, I would say, misunderstood artist as an actor and just an overall kind of crazy guy. But I think he is back to like being a little bit more normal if you will mm-hmm. but i could see him as kind of like a struggling artist type i went with shia labeouf yeah i could totally see that it doesn't yeah i absolutely. could totally see that and and i think he would work well for a yeah. role like this i think yeah i i haven't seen this recent stuff i mean the most i knew about him recently was just like another kind of crazy shit you'd hear in the news right um, but he's still doing acting stuff and i think he's kind of doing pretty pretty solid in like the indie movie scene so he had a um, he yeah. had a movie in in 2019 called The Peanut Butter Falcon that oh yeah I I've heard I've heard nothing but great things about. Yep, yeah, you're right. That that is particularly one that I heard really good stuff. So yeah, I mean, God, he was a, he was a good actor. I don't know what I, Hollywood does weird things to people. Mm-hmm. I mean, my wife and I the other day were talking about um, what's his name, old Tiger Blood. 
Oh, Charlie Sheen. Charlie Sheen. Like, what makes someone go on air and talk about stuff like that? So much drugs. Just weird. And I guess. <laughs> so, so much cocaine. So much. Uh, uh, all right. Well, let's move on to Marissa. Who did you choose for your Marissa? So I wanted to keep a um, in their 20s Hispanic actress, mm-hmm. uh, similar to uh, Elizabeth Pena at that time. So I was looking around, and I I can't say I've seen a bunch of this girl's work because she's mostly done Disney stuff when she was younger. She was on the Disney show Victorious. She was on Zoe 101. Uh, she hasn't done too much of the things that I've seen recently and I think she even has a like a music career as well, but she fits the bill and she's got quite a bit of credits. I'm sh- hopefully she is a strong enough actress for it. I went with Victoria Justice. Okay, I've heard that name. Yeah, probably just from her time in Disney and I don't know kids mm-hmm. mentioning or something like that. Just taking a look here. I mean, she she's got a good look. Not really anything I'm seeing on her uh, her. Um, page of something that i've seen but she does have a good number of credits a lot of tv series oh she must have been a musician too because she's got a whole bunch of music videos i wonder if that's how she's you know all those all those uh disney actresses or mostly the actresses i think also like would it double as having a music career mm-hmm. so i that yeah. totally makes yeah, sense on paper it works for me okay yeah i mean i would not compare her to the acting talents of an elizabeth pena mm-hmm. but she kind of fits all the other criteria that i was looking for okay fair enough uh i went with an actress who is older but looks younger okay although most actresses nowadays look younger <laughs> true <laughs> so she's been in a lot of big name things recently i've really gotten to know her because adam i finally started watching brooklyn 99 and we're loving it. Uh, I went with Stephanie Beatrice. Oh, so I thought you were going to go with uh, Amy, uh, the other Hispanic actress on that show. Uh, but you want Stephanie Beatrice, who plays a badass on uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I love her. And it's funny, when you hear her talk in real life, like the actual actress, mm-hmm. she sounds kind of like a very high-pitched, like, girly girl. Uh-huh. But on Brooklyn Nine Nine, <laughs> she's kind of got that gruff demeanor. Yeah. Uh, so she, I know she can act with that kind of stuff. Um, that's cool. I was, I wasn't expecting that call, and I like that call. She was just recently uh, in Encanto. I think she voiced the main character. Oh, in that, okay, cool. Which everyone's talked about. My kids have seen it multiple times. I've yet to see it. Yeah, me neither. I need to need to check that one out. So. I, I'm starting to really like her, and I'm really starting to like Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I was afraid I wasn't because I've never really been a fan of Andy Sandberg. I didn't really yeah. like his stuff on SNL. I really – the Lonely Island Boys stuff was like – it was like funny once, and then I, after that I yeah. kind of got sick of it. But I really am enjoying that show. I, I hope you continue to to enjoy it throughout its run or throughout, you know, watching – if you can if you get through watching the rest of it because that's, that's the show that did the same thing for me for Andy Sandberg. I didn't care for his stuff at all, but Brooklyn – turned me into you know uh to a fan i enjoyed his stuff and i really liked that show so cool i'm very happy to hear that you're digging that yep uh all right harry noble man i had a i had a rough time figuring this one out if if you're thinking okay big he's got to be kind of big he has to be imposing it's it's that dichotomy you see that a lot in a lot of shows where you have like this big guy who has like the the demeanor of like a little kid Mm -hmm. um and and that's kind of what harry is and and you got to find someone and a lot of the guys that are like that are, are, are 
already famous or something like that. But I think I settled on a guy that works. I actually don't know how tall he actually is. So I don't know if he would, um, if he would tower over everyone else. But I know he is tall enough that he's kind of played big characters in the past. Um, and he's on a lot of shows that I did watch. He was on The Walking Dead. Uh, he was on The Orville. He actually played an alien in The Orville, so you don't know it's him because he's oh. under a bunch of makeup. Um, but I just finished, I think the series literally just ended this week. And he was on that show for a good number of seasons, uh, which was The Expanse. I went with Chad L. Coleman. He's got that demeanor. I think, and he, see, I've seen him play characters like that before. Uh, I, I don't know how tall he is, but he is imposing in most of the things I've seen mm-hmm. him in. He played so you Tyrese in Walking Dead. I didn't mention that. But. Yeah, yeah, Tyrese, exactly. And I remember him from The Wire way back in the day. Okay. Uh, he was great in that as well. Uh, I, think it's a, I think it's a fantastic call, honestly. Cool. I will, take, I will take fantastic call. Absolutely. Okay. All right, who did you go with? Yeah, so all the same things you said. You have to pick somebody large and imposing. I did not go with Chad Coleman, but I do like that call. I like his acting. Uh, I'm with a guy who uh, I ha- hasn't I haven't seen in a bunch of stuff, but he is tall. He's six eight, and he's a big guy. He's kind of like you know you could say looked out of shape. Kind of he looked very similar enough to um, was it Frank McRae who mm-hmm. who played Harry Noble, uh, and he's kind of that gentle giant. And you got that gentle giant feel. In um, the movie that he starred in, which was The Blind Side, I went with Quentin Aaron, who played the main kid in The Blind Side. Okay. What else has he done besides The Blind Side? So he was in Be Kind, Rewind. That was actually his first film. Um, He is still acting now. Other stuff that he has been in, he's got 64 credits. He's been in, yeah, nothing, he's in, yeah, nothing good, I will say, (laughs) that I'm noticing. Or at least nothing big. Nothing big. Yeah, you're right. They could be good, but they're not big. Right. So, yep. Okay. Uh, that's a smart call because uh, mm-hmm. he was opposing. Uh, you know, I mean, we haven't seen him in anything else like that. But you know, he just has to kind of play the gentle giant, and he's only got a few, a few lines. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a little bit older now, so I can kind of believe that because Harry is like he was. He's an ex boxer. So yeah. he's kind of, you know, he's older now, he's he's a superintendent, but I'm sure the boxing probably played a part in in his demeanor and I would think and how so to do too. It. So that's a that's a smart call. I like that. All right. Cool. Uh, all right. Uh Frey Frey. <laughs> Faye and Frank. We'll go ahead and do Faye first. Um these were the first two characters I cast because they're they're our kind of our main characters and we really need mm-hmm. to, to go with this. So Adam, who did you pick for your Faye? Yeah, Jessica Tandy is a fantastic actress. I wanted to pick, um, you know, you got to pick a really older actress. You know, I want these. Right. Uh, you, they got to be old. <laughs> That's just how it goes. Yeah. They've got to be old. Uh, and so uh, this actress actually hasn't acted since 2019, but it's probably because she can take some stuff in between some of her roles. Um, we actually talked about her on the... Uh, on Dynamic Duel, the Marvel vs. DC podcast with our friends, uh, the Garcia brothers. Uh, she was super attractive back in the day in Batman 66 when she played Catwoman. Oh. I am talking Lee Merriweather is who I went with as my fae. I like that. Yeah, God, yeah. we haven't seen Lee Merriweather. I don't I don't know what the last thing is. I'd... In a hot minute, but she has been acting for, like I said, all the way up until 2019 still. So 
She's still still around. Hopefully, she's still uh, in good health. Yeah, yeah, I'd hope so. That's a that's a good call. All right, cool. That's an that's an interesting call. I don't I don't know that I looked at her. Mm-hmm. I I went with probably a bigger name. I I really wanted my Frank and Faye to really be able to have that good dynamic between them and believable that they could be kind of married. I really want to not explore the the dead son story, but mm-hmm. like it it needs to be really really heavy. I think. Mm-hmm. So I wanted some some top notch uh, actors for for those two roles. Um, I initially thought about maybe going with Diane Keaton, but Diane Keaton actually still looks fairly young, and she's kind of goofy and silly. Um, but this actress is fantastic. Um, she is older now, so she's in her se- mid seventies, I think. Uh, but she's known for some some really big stuff. Uh, I went with another Jessica. I went with Jessica Lang. Oh, okay. Yeah, how old is she now? Well, she was born in '49. Okay. So, yeah. So, however that is, I'm. I'll do the math for you real quick. Thanks. Yeah, '73. '73. Okay. And yeah, my my both of my Frank and my Faye are both in their 80s. But okay. well, part of that is because nowadays old people still look pretty young. <laughs> '70 so I is wanted... the new 50. So I did have exactly. a tough time with that. <laughs> yeah. So I needed. I was like, I want to make sure these old people are old and look old. <laughs> so. Okay, I'm cool with that. I'm very cool with that. Uh, all right, Frank. Hugh Chrome. Is that right, Hugh Chrome? Hume Chrome? Yeah, Hugh, Hume. Hume Chrome. Um, Hume has got like a distinctive look to him, and he's kind of skinny, and mm-hmm. I couldn't find an, an exact one-to-one for him, but I I, I think I found a, an actor that can play that kind of snake, because Frank is kind of like, not neurotic, mm-hmm. but- Kind of just mean. yeah, I don't know. You see where I'm going? I absolutely with, with the way yeah. Frank is, and so I had a little bit of a tough time initially looking for someone, and then I came across this guy, and I was like, you know what? I I absolutely can see him playing this type of role, and I think it'd be. I don't know that he's acted with Jessica Lang before. I didn't really look that up, but seeing him with Jessica Lang, I think would make for really really good dynamic in this story. I went with Albert Brooks. Oh, interesting. Like who he definitely uh, has done neurotic stuff before. Yes. <laughs> he's kind of known for that, but yes, that is absolutely what he's known for. Uh no, that would be interesting. Yeah. I could I am cool with that. I like Albert Brooks a lot as an actor, so I, I think that'd be very cool. Yeah. He's around the same age as uh, Jessica Lang, so mm-hmm. that I think that would work for me. Okay. Oh, I didn't realize he voiced Hank Scorpio in The Simpsons. He's one of like the villains. Oh yeah, yeah. In The Simpsons, yeah, yeah. I just didn't. That's very cool. And then very famously, he was in Finding Nemo. Oh yeah, yeah. He's, he was the, the dad. He's the father. Yeah. Yeah, of course. So that's cool. Like All that. right, Adam. Who was your Frank? So I basically went with old before I went with neurotic. <laughs> now this guy's a good actor. I've never, honestly, I don't think I've ever seen him be neurotic. I've only ever seen him kind of be stoic or grumpy or angry or intimidating, um, which is not mostly not what Frank is right. too much in the movie. But maybe have him hunch, maybe have him, you know, yeah, maybe get some of those acting chops. I mean, he is a great actor. He's also a great director and he's old. I went with Clint Eastwood. <laughs> OK. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. 
He's old. I think he'd be interesting. I'd like to see him in that role. Him and I think Clint Eastwood and Lee Merriweather would would make a good couple, and that's why I, and sure. I think it fits. God, yeah. that, that's an interesting take. I don't know because he still always plays intimidating people. He does. So, would but you... Frank's got a temper. Frank's yeah. got a temper. Faye says it. <laughs> so maybe we see more of that temper. Maybe. Tell uh, he tells those construction workers to get off his lawn. It would be. It would work. Okay. <laughs> I can't. I mean, I'm not going to argue with you because it's Clint Eastwood. The guy's he's a legend. Yeah. His politics aside, he he makes some pretty good movies. I you know I I don't say he's directed the best movies. Sometimes I think he just kind of picks his projects that he just wants to spend time on, regardless of how well it actually turns out. Um, I did watch that. Um, I cannot remember. I keep thinking it's not it's not the like three ten to Yuma or nine ten to Yuma or whatever that was. It was the other one that was based on the real life story. Of those three guys who, um, uh, the three amigos? No, no, it was a real, it was a real life story. Space cowboys. I'm gonna <laughs> kick your ass. The 1517 to Paris. Oh, okay. It's about those those three guys that uh, they got on a train and they subdued a gunman. Oh, okay. It was the, it was them and a guy from like Belgium, I think, or or from France who subdued this guy. It was a real story. But, like, he decided to make it a movie, and he used the actual people who did the deed as the stars of the movie. Oh. Who were not oh. actors. Like, two oh, of them yeah. were in the military, and one of them was not. And <laughs> so, yeah, I watched it because I was, I was interested in the story, uh, but it was not great. Those, the, those kids were not actors. And I didn't expect yeah. them to be, but why, Clint? Yeah, that's probably just because it's like a, I don't know. PR stunt or I, it, was, it, was a, it was a kitsch. I guess you know, it was a gimmick. But I guess whatever. But still an interesting call. Okay. Uh, all right. Well, that was our recasting of Batteries Not Included. Please join us next time as we are joined once again by our sister. Last time you heard us talking with her, we talked '90s crushes. Now we count down our top ten favorite '80s crushes. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach us at blastfromourpast at gmail.com. And if you want to suggest a movie or TV show from your childhood or to be a guest on the podcast, go over to patreon.com backslash blastpastcast and pick a tier that works for you. To find us on social media, search for at blastpastcast. So until next time, I'm John. And I'm Adam. And thanks for joining us. See you next time. I'm John, and I'm the host of Action Action. Every week, I'm joined by James. hey And Dustin. Hello. And each week, we review, debate, and rank a different action movie. We're creating the ultimate list of action movies. From awful to awesome. So if you want to hear three more white guys with beards talk about action movies. And argue about where they belong on our list. And decide you hate us because we've made fun of your favorite movie. Join us every Tuesday, and you can find us on your favorite podcatcher. And Steven Seagal is a joke.